Welcome to the MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference podcast, presented by ESPN and 42 Analytics. This is Jessica Gelman, who along with Daryl Morey, co-founded and chair the conference with a fantastic group of MIT Sloan students each year. We are thrilled to announce the launch of this podcast network to add more avenues to grow awareness and innovation around analytics and sports. We are excited to make the panel discussions from our 2019 conference, which covers a wide range of sports and analytics topics available via podcast for the very first time. Thanks for listening and enjoy. Good afternoon, everybody. Uh, my name is Devin Shapiro. I'm a first year MBA at MIT Sloan. And welcome to the final panel of the 2019 MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference. It's my absolute pleasure to introduce Michael Lewis, going deep with Mike Leach, the most innovative mind in football. Uh, we have Coach Leach, the head football coach at the Washington State University football program, and Michael Lewis, uh, best-selling author of Moneyball, Liars Poker, and many others. Please give them a hand. Thank you very much. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah, I can. All right. All right. So this is very Mike Leach. Those right. are my questions. That's right. This is Mike Leach's play. This is like your play sheet before a game. And you can I wrote keep your hands free so you don't have to stick it between your legs and your pen and your mouth. You so, stick it there and you can signal your stuff. <laughs> so I'm, I've got, so the way this is going to work, um, I thought about trying to structure it. And then I thought trying to structure you is just a waste of time. And I'm, I'm, so I'm not going to bother doing that. Uh, but I do want to explain how this came to be. Um, I wrote an article about Mike, uh, what, like 14 years ago, 13 years yeah, ago? Yeah, a long time ago. And what, it, what happened was uh, Mike's agent and I worked together at Solomon Brothers, Gary O'Hagan. And I would talk to Gary from time to time. And Gary <laughs> said, if you, if you ever want to turn your attention to a genuinely interesting subject, as opposed to the things you've been writing about, uh, he said, I've got a client who's not like any of my other clients. He said, he's so different, it's hard to understand how he's a football coach. And he's running circles around all of college football. So I started watching Texas Tech football games. And it really, they, they, in the same way that Washington State games don't look like other college football games, Texas Tech games didn't look like other, other college football games. Um, anyway, Mike and I became friends as a result of that article, but we'd fallen, we'd fallen out of touch. We haven't spoken in, until today, some years. Uh, and Daryl Morey, uh, uh, the godly presence here, but who's right there, uh, Daryl was looking for someone for me to interview on stage. And we were kicking around ideas, and he was asking who, could we find a, subjects who are, a panel of subjects who were really ahead of their time in their sport? Uh, and that's, I said, that sounded great. And I guess he says they crunched numbers. I don't know what the numbers would be, but he decided that Mike Leach was more ahead of his time than anybody else in sports. Um, so here we are. Um, and the questions I have, I've got like 15 questions. And then after I ask my 15 questions as an iPad, and you, if you all want to ask questions, you can, you can chip in. But um, I'd like to just actually, the, the, only, the only question that has any kind of structure too is I do want to talk a little bit about where you come from, how you grew up uh, before we get into football. So you tell, tell me who Mike Leach was when he was uh, like a uh, freshman in high school. Freshman in high school. Uh, well, I, when I, growing up, I'd moved a lot. My dad was in the Forest Service. <clears throat> so we bounced all over the Rocky Mountains uh, 
uh, gorgeous locations with uh, cold weather. Uh, some of those places would scoff at the weather here in Boston today. And um, uh, so we moved a lot. And so like uh, most people, freshmen in high school, I, uh, you know, searching for my identity, just trying to fit in. And that's that transition, you know, ninth grade where you're sort of still in junior high, sort of still in, or, or uh, trying to go into high school. And, um, but uh, I was always a very curious guy. Uh, and uh, was kind of interested in a lot of things. I read quite a lot. And, uh, you know, as they said, you know, you can be anything you want to be. I bought into all that, uh, daydreamed a lot. Um, uh, and then uh, in ninth grade, and I played football uh, uh, every year. I wasn't particularly good. I was one of those guys that got a growth spurt about two years into college. Um, when it wasn't nearly as useful as it would have been if it happened my freshman year of high school. And then... When did um, you stop playing football? Um, I, played all, I played all through high school. I played all through high school. Then I broke my ankle my senior year and then started playing rugby all through uh, college. But see, and I went to BYU and BYU's good at rugby. And, and of course, we had a lot of uh, uh, mercenary help there at BYU, South Africans, New Zealanders, Maoris, Tongans, Samoans, who would uh, uh, take a few uh, uh, American football players under their wing and we're traveling all over the place. And, and, uh, and I was planning to go to law school, so I didn't, um, so, so you know, I wanted to get through college quickly. But the most important thing I think that happened my freshman year, since you brought it up, was I started coaching uh, uh, baseball at various different levels. I coached, I had a baseball team ages 15. In Wyoming, you could drive when you were 15, and you can discuss whether that's a good idea or not. And then, um, uh, I had a baseball team ages 15 through my sophomore year uh, in college, and that's where I really kind of got the coaching bug, but always thought football and was kind of a football guy. And if I wasn't coaching football, I'd be coaching baseball. So you go to law school, though, out of, co out of college. Um, at what point do you think you can have, you can entertain the possibility of being a football coach? You didn't play, you didn't play college football. You didn't have any particular in there. Uh, so how do you make the trend, how, how do you get yourself, how does that happen? How do you become a football coach? I always viewed, I always viewed coaching really like any other job. It was a skill, it was a trade that you learned, that you studied and you developed uh, your skills at, you know, just like, you know, uh, about that time I knew some guys I'd gone to high school with. One guy's an apprentice to be a plumber. One guy's an apprentice to be an electrician. You know, I mean, if, if you can apprentice your way through that, you can become a football coach or a coach of anything as far as I uh, was concerned. And so then, you know, it's a matter of study, but, and I went through law school. I didn't have any lawyers in my family. Uh, my dad hated attorneys. Uh, and then, um, so I, I graduated in eight semesters, It'd be part of it because I was paying for it. And so I wanted to get through quick since, uh, you know, it was my money that was adding up. And so then I uh, go to law school and me and this fellow from Michigan State, we're the youngest guys in the law school. And, um, and you know, and I'm thinking, well, you know, I haven't seen the world, I haven't done very much and I don't want to get old and wish that I had coached. And so I figured, well, I'm gonna coach for one year, three at the most and get it out of my system. So, because by the time I left Pepperdine University, I had the federal government $38,000. Uh, 
and uh, student loans. And I figured the difference between 38 and 50 wasn't that much. So I went ahead and got another degree at the United States Sports Academy to finance uh, uh, my quest to be a, a football coach. And, and by then I was pretty good at getting degrees. And um, so, uh, you know, because there are degrees in paper writing and law school, uh, you know, law, law school's cutting edge paper writing uh, experience. And so then I, I, I got the, the master's, uh, but could coach at the same time, simultaneous uh, with getting the master's. And uh, who lets you, let you be a coach in the first place? How do, how do you break in? Well, it, it was actually the worst year you could possibly break in. Um, because there was a, a point in time where colleges would let as many graduate assistants in as would come because everybody would take free help. And if you're horrible, they just run you out of there, you know. And if you're great, they uh, say, this guy gets coffee the fastest, so have him go get it, you know. And, 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 and so then, um, but that was the year that they cut the GAs, that, that they limited the number of GAs. And so graduate that, assistants? Yeah, the yeah. graduate assistants. So there are graduate assistants. If you're getting the graduate degree, you could work with the football team or the basketball team. Well, it used to be unlimited. Then they, 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 they cut the thing back. And so they were actually cutting people that had played for them. And so, which meant I couldn't go Division One. And I called up Cal Poly San Luis Obispo and uh, they answered the phone call and I, uh, drove this, and it was this big old used beat up 79 Cadillac DeVille, uh, loaded up my first daughter and all my stuff from Daphne, Alabama, and drove to uh, San Luis Obispo, California to be the assistant offensive line coach for $3,000 for the year. Even though you had no experience whatsoever, I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing in your background that would have indicated that you had any like value to them. So how does that, I don't, I, that ama it amazes me that you think to make the call and it amazes me that they even took the call. But that's your, so, so what was their thinking there? Well, you know, the, 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 the thinking was, is, uh, uh, their thinking I'm certain was, uh, was this is free help and uh, it's interesting the guy uh, had a graduate degree and so um, let's see what he can do and plus we need help anyway. And, don't really have the budget to pay it. And then my wife, you know, and I wouldn't be here without my wife. I mean, my wife made more money than I did for 10 years and would work as administrative assistants and stuff like that uh, for various people. And then in the off season, I would uh, um, uh, substitute teach uh, to try to put it together. You know, I lived very modestly, actually lived in student housing at that time. and. Uh, and again, you just kind of grind away and, you know, study everything you can, absorb everything you can. And, uh, you know, the most important thing is refuse to leave. I mean, that was the biggest thing is, you know, anything you're passionate about uh, uh, doesn't feel quite like work. Um, it, you know, there's good days and bad days. You love it, you hate it, but you get consumed by it. And, uh, you know, but uh, uh, eventually uh, refuse to leave and, uh, uh all right, so now I'm not, I'm not going to march you through your life in any kind of chronological way, but I am I'm going to ask my questions kind of randomly. Um, the, when I came to see you in Texas Tech, uh, by then you had almost turned the mascot into a pirate. 
they were the Raider, Red Raiders or whatever they were, but everyone was dressed up at pirates. It was all because you'd developed this interest in pirates and you'd inflicted it on the football team. And I can still remember the players telling me. You actually had a pretty big role in that, to be perfectly honest. Oh, you mean the piece? Uh, yeah, what, well, what happened was, is I'd given the team, I'd give the team speeches on a variety of things, like, uh, you know, because you can draw parallels on a lot of things. And, and, and because it, to be very good at anything, um, it, you know, uh, you have to do it a number of times over and over and over. Malcolm Gladwell, uh, I don't know if he talked about it today, but uh, um, that's certainly part of it. And you have to do it over and over, and, and there's a point to where it's going to get monotonous. And if you don't uh, rep things over and over, you're not going to be any good at it. Uh, but then if it gets too boring, you're just going through the motions. So the part that's got to keep it interesting is the people around and the relationships with the people that are there and enjoying them and their backgrounds. and you know, just uh, their way about them. And so I think that's uh, kind of what uh, keeps things uh, interesting. And I think you've got to draw from that. And then, so as a result, I would give team speeches on a variety of things, all kinds of stuff, usually something I was reading or looking into and studying. And I gave them one on pirates. More than one. Uh, it's once a the, the team I met with, they were so sick of pirates by the time I got there. The, the quarterback said to me, you learn not to ask questions, otherwise it just goes on longer. Well, so when, <laughs> once, in, once in New York Times Magazine, he wrote about pirates. I, uh, you know, I, pirate flags popped up everywhere. I got all kinds. You get a lot of gear if you, if you, if you get, because you have no control over your nick, nicknames. You get a lot of gear if it's pirates. You get some really cool flags get some cool hats. Bobby Knight and uh, Pat Knight gave me this big uh, uh, skeleton that looks like uh, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, there, where there's a button that'll talk. You can make a motion sensor so that uh, cleaning folks or your GAs or whatever, if they walk in the dark room, this thing starts talking to them and you can hear them jump and yell and swear. And then, um, uh, you know, swords. This lady from France, who she is from France, um, says, I don't even follow football, it's an American sport or whatever, but um, sent me this uh, kind of uh, pewter skull and crossbones that I enjoyed the article. I thought you would want this, so she just mailed it to me. So I got all kinds of really cool stuff, but the speech, I gave the team the speech on <clears throat> similarities between pirates and a football team, which there's a lot, and without giving the whole speech, um, it would take a long time to get into it. But like for one, like one great example that a team relates to is because, you know, we had guys that really from Samoa to Florida and points in between, all different demographics of people, you know, rich, poor, and culturally, all the rest. So, um, well, pirate ships were like that back in an age when, um, you know, forget the fact people from different countries did spend time with each other. People in different financial positions didn't spend a lot of time with each other. And so anyway, so this, the, the, as you're trying to integrate a team, um, <clears throat> there were some good parallels there. That was one. And so I had a sword. I had a museum, museum replica sword that I'm swinging around as I'm talking to them. And swords have a funny effect on people. <laughs> um, you know, there'll be somebody, uh, uh, oftentimes a safety or something, that can't wait as soon as the speech is over to race up and touch the sword. And then there's others that, you know, are gonna take a big loop away from the sword 
because I don't want to get near it. But anyway, so I'm swinging the sword around. How are you going to swing your sword? You know, are you going to swing it like this, you know, duck away all cowardly or, or, and, and just get stabbed because, you know, you're afraid? Or are you going to be all reckless, cut the first guy's head off, but be so wide open you get wiped out? And, you know, in, in, um, in football, your body's your sword. You refine and you develop it through doing the drills through the weight room to keep it sharp so you're ready to engage in battle. And so then the thing became swing your sword. <clears throat> As he wrote about the speech, this thing exploded. This thing exploded coast to coast. Pirate this, pirate that, you know. And so then, um, uh, yeah, but the, all the nicknames you can collect in this business, I've always felt very fortunate. All right, so, so like I found in my career as a writer, that all the best characters don't realize they're characters. And you are an example of that. Uh, and so it's, I don't think, it's kind of pointless to ask you what makes you such a great character, because I think you're just you. It, it is, it's amazing to me that you were able to preserve you in college football, in football. Football is such a conformist sort of place. You, t you would tell me that you would spend, every off season you'd pick a subject. Pirates was one offseason, but Ger you wrote a book about Geronimo. Yeah. Uh, you, you, they, well, buy the book on Geronimo. Idea that so, you, so, so what, was a, what, what attracted, what appealed to you about, we're going to get to line splits and how you distribute the ball and all that, but what was it about Geronimo that interested you? Um, you know, ever since I was a kid, I liked uh, Geronimo. When I was a kid, um, you know, uh, uh, kids and dogs ran all over the neighborhood. That was a different time. And, uh, and I'm really not that old, but uh, stuff used to be way more fun than it is now. And so then, um, so you guys got screwed, a bunch of you. And then, um, but, uh, uh, and so, so you'd come home and there were, there were a couple things on and, 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 you know, be Batman, Daniel Boone anyway, and there'd be a lot of cowboys and Indian stuff. And I was always an Indian. I always wanted to be one of the Indians, you see. And, and you'd have battles, sometimes just pretend battles. Sometimes you'd go to a construction site and have dirt clawed wars and be the Cowboys versus the Indians. And it was great fun by, uh, had by everybody. And then, um, um, and so then we go to the library, okay, and this was, it's kind of funny because this was shortly after I was informed that Santa Claus wasn't real. So I was harboring some major trust issues with my parents <laughs> and, um, and we were living in uh, Golden, Colorado at the time. And I look on TV, they're advertising public library. And if I go public library, I go, what's this? There's books, you can get books and you can take them with you. Why haven't I been informed of this? <laughs> and and, and, and um, so I tell my mom, she takes us to the library. We look around the library. And so finally she says, pick any book you want and I'll read it to you. And I'm thinking, now I don't know when I'm gonna get back in here. Um, we're going to make sure this is a big book. I go, where are the books, books on Indians? And we actually cited this book in, in Ger Geronimo. Okay, so then um, got this big book on Geronimo. I've studied Geronimo ever since, read everything I could get, watched everything I could get, all kinds of stuff. And then the exciting thing when we, we, we did the book on Geronimo, learned even more about uh, Geronimo, uh, tried to make sure we wrote about uh, all the interesting stuff, none of the boring stuff. Uh, the most, one of the most amazing things is, because they never really did capture uh, Geronimo and his band of Apaches. They got tired of running 
Uh, and you're talking about, you know, one of the most formidable fighting forces uh, per, you know, per person that's ever existed. And uh, I mean, I'm still fascinated by it. Would almost like to do another book on Geronimo, but um, the, uh, anyway. So this is, so you, I just saw that you are teaching a seminar uh, next, this term at Washington State on war and football. Um, and I saw, I, I don't know, I think I saw, maybe I went on the web and I saw what you had to do to get into this seminar. First, tell me what happened when you announced that you were gonna teach a seminar on war and, war and football. Well, okay, so uh, uh, State Senator Mike Baumgartner, who attends, comes to our practices sometimes, uh, and actually is in, interested enough, goes to meetings, which meetings, everybody thinks they wanna be in football and they're fascinated by football because they've watched a bunch of games, don't quite know uh, or realize that you sit in a dark room like a caveman with a projector for hours on end, running the thing back and forth and not necessarily discussing how clever this crossing route is or how great this catch is, but why is the left guard's ankle where it is, why doesn't he step this way so he's more square and can secure the block? And by the way, why the hell's his head like this? Where are his eyes? And uh, as you're kind of picking away and plucking away and trying to perfect uh, and make uh, the machine more uh, as well-oiled as it can be, and uh, took an interest in that. So we get to talking and he says, you know, and he's taught some classes on counterinsurgency, worked with the State Department, says, well, um, you know, uh, you know how uh, football teams work and stuff like that, and some of what you teach and discuss and uh, adjust to things uh, similar to counterinsurgency. And, and when we get to talking, yeah, that'd be interesting. It'd be interesting to have a class. Well, nobody'd be interested in it. Oh, I don't know, put it on Twitter, let's see what happens. And so I'm thinking there's gonna be, oh, I don't know, maybe 70 people that like or are interested in this thing. Uh, you know, uh, a little over 100 at the most. 46,000, 46,000 people said they're interested in taking this class. Now, um, uh, so, and, and, you know, and, and, you know, a lot of things, if it's, if it's too hyped, they get their hopes up and it doesn't quite equal it. There's only a few things that do. So how are you going to decide who you let into this class? I saw that there are two questions you got to answer. One was, I want, I'd love you, you to answer them for me, 200 words or less, because that's what the requirement is. Um, one was... Well, I can't, the, really, I can't really answer wish, it. I can't really answer it because then let's the cat out of the bag as our objective right. students but, are writing their answers. Could the wishbone offense be made to work in the NFL today? Well, here's what I think. I think the biggest thing is, is if there's well... Uh, well thought out answers that have uh, some foundation for their reasoning. And I think in this day and age, our country is far short of uh, uh, discussions on a number of subjects where there ought to be more discussing and respect for the other people's ideas because you can learn something in the process. Um, you know, uh, uh, you know, cause some of the most fascinating people that I know are the ones I disagree with because those are the ones that challenge my ideas then I can learn something. But I think uh, a well thought out uh, discussion, ideas, um, you know, or valid answers, you know, because we're really, we're asking for their opinion um, and their, their, their opinion could be right as fast as, uh, 
as mine could in, in, in some ways. And so um, anyway, a well thought out opinion is really, I think what we're looking for, but suffice it to say, um, you know, and I get a kick out of this. I mean, there's, you know, the, the, you see this with division one, division one. Well, you can't do that in division one. Well, in the BCS, you can't run that. Or the NFL, I mean, I really get a kick out. Oh, in the NFL, you can't do that. You can't do this. You can't do all this stuff you can't do in the NFL. You know, can't do in the NFL, my ass. Okay, so, so uh, for, if, you, if you can do it in high school, if you can do it in high school, with rare exception, you can do it anywhere else. And because if you could do it in high school, you could do it everywhere else, you know. And then, of course, you always get the, you know, well, our defensive ends in the NFL are like this. Oh, okay, you know, our defensive ends are uh, in the NFL are like, and then they'll, of course, pick the best Hall of Famer of all time or some, or Lawrence Taylor. Well, okay, fine. Then my offensive tackle is Anthony Munoz. Okay. And I mean, it just keeps going. Well, our corners in this league, they're like Deion Sanders. Oh, really? Well, good. Because our receivers, my receiver's going to be like Jerry Rice. I mean, so it's all relative as you bounce through it. And, and, and it's, so, so and it's all a, this just narrow-minded so, bunk where somebody wants to say you can't do something because uh, they're too selfish or lazy to think about it. So that's the problem. So that was, you know, when I first came to write about you, the thing that had caught it, it wasn't all that original with me at the time, but nobody had really written about it, uh, was what was happening with your quarterbacks. That you had come out of Hal Mummy, right? Had been your... Yeah, I worked with Hal Mummy. So there was, there, there's a prehistory to it, but maybe we'll get into that. But, but your, your, your history, you got into Texas Tech and your quarterbacks, who no one had ever heard of, were breaking, were, were, were breaking passing yardage records. I mean, they all look like future Hall of Fame quarterbacks in the NFL. And you... You either, for a while, the NFL was tricked into thinking that your quarterbacks were the NFL quarterbacks. And then, for, then after that, since then, it's, they've just discounted whatever your quarterbacks do. Uh, but it was amazing to me to watch the way your offense functioned against what was clearly, I mean, the story was, it's still a story at Washington State. You don't have first call on the best talent in college football, in high school football. Yeah, we don't get first Texas pick. Texas Tech is like fourth pick. Uh, you know, they, oh, anyway. they go to Oklahoma, they go to Texas, so they go, and you get what's left over. We wish we had fourth. We and, didn't have fourth. And, and, and you were beating teams by 50 or 60 points, uh, and your quarterbacks were putting up all these crazy numbers. Did you think that those same – there are a whole bunch of questions I want to ask you about this, but do you think those same quarterbacks in the NFL could do the same thing if they were just put in the same kind of offense that you were running at Texas Tech? And that the problem was – the problem, they, the reason they didn't make the transition to the NFL had nothing to do with their skill level or their talent. It had everything to do with how stupid the NFL offenses were run. Because the time I came, when I came to write about you, I, we went to also talk to NFL coaches and they all said the same thing. Works in college, but it won't work in the NFL. And of course that's changed. Now there's air raid quarterbacks all over the NFL. That's right. You're watching your offense, your offense kind of uh, be adopted in places where they said it couldn't work. How come you don't get more credit for that? Well, I don't know. I don't really keep track of the credit part. I mean, if you're constantly chasing credit, you don't have time to worry about uh, improving. You know, the biggest thing is to improve. And then, uh, you know, and then uh, we got signs on all the wall that say you're either coaching it or allowing it to happen. So we just try, try to focus on the present and improve the best we can. Oh, incidentally, 
our quarterback this year, he led the nation in passing. Um, the uh, Gardner Minshew did, so, so we're still rolling. You're still rolling. So when you, um, what do you think of, the, of as the kind of the key components to your offense? I, I, think, I, I think, well, I think a couple things. I think one is you, 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 you want to, um, you know, as, as, as I look at the, you know, some of the talks that I've been to at the, at the Sloan Conference, um, some of the, um, you know, the, the subjects of the talks, the summaries, it's all, most of the talks are about pulling slack out of the rope. You know, how do you tighten things up and make it more efficient, more smoother? And, and I think um, we've constantly uh, sought to do that. What's the most efficient way? And in football, you know, you have 11 moving parts on either side of the ball and how we can synchronize that uh, together and, and elevate uh, the performance of everybody because those are your resources. What your resources are uh, on, on offense in particular, uh, defense would be uh, the opposite, but offense is uh, um, <clears throat> you want to utilize all your personnel and you want to create space. And uh, within that space, your space that is, that's realistic is sideline to sideline, and I think about 30 yards downfield, because that's about how long your protection can hold up. You know, everybody says, I, you know, sometimes these guys say, well, can this guy throw it 80 yards? I don't know. Can you protect while your guy runs 80 yards? Do you have anybody that can run the 80-yard dash in three and a half seconds? <laughs> now, I, I've never had anybody that can do it, so... So whether a guy can throw it 80 yards, it doesn't matter as much to me. I mean, it's handy in a way, like if it's a broken play and he's running in a circle, whether it's because the quarterback was too dumb to throw it downfield or whether everybody was covered or he had to scramble because the guard got beat. I mean, it's nice to have a strong arm, but this business of uh, you can protect for about three and a half seconds. So <clears throat> I think your space is 30 yards and it can be restricted as you get down to the goal line. And then... Um, um, and, and you want to have the ability, regardless of what you select to do offensively, you want to have the ability um, <clears throat> to attack that space. And you can attack it by alignment or running there. But you need to be able to touch uh, the dimension of that space because that is one of the few resources you have. You, you, you have personnel. Every skilled player should touch the ball. Every person on offense should have a role in it. If he's not touching the ball, there should be a really good reason why uh, he's not, because you're only allowed to let five of them touch it. And all five ought to touch it and somehow contribute uh, yards to the offensive effort. Balance, a balanced offense is not one that rushes at 50% and throws at 50%. You know, handing half the, 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 the plays so a running back here and throwing the other half at two receivers here, there's nothing balanced about that because you've got two other guys. Uh, balance is that all of, your, uh, uh, all, all of your offensive skill positions contribute to the offensive effort, and you should uh, try to achieve a balance of yards out of uh, all five of those positions. And so then, um, and then of course, six counting the quarterback, but somebody's got to throw or hand it off. And then, uh, or you can run with him too. That's another fun thing. We can talk about that. But de 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 uh, defensively, uh, the lowest common denominator of defense, every defensive player should have a role and that defensive player's role should be restricting space. Offenses try to create space, 
Defenses try to restrict space so that offenses uh, uh, aren't able to move it. Now, there's a lot of ways to skin the cat within that, but um, I think a lot of times people get too overcomplicated. They try to make too much out of it. Um, but, the, you know, the underlying question on offense should almost always be how do we create space? And then defensively, it should be how do we restrict the space that they have to operate in? You, you also, I remember you saying to me, and this goes back, like, you bring this p single piece of paper out at the beginning of the game and your whole Well, there's game, some plays on it. There's some plays on it, but it's not much. And, and you kind of like running. If it works, you run it again. And if it doesn't work, you put a little X on, next to it. But you said to me that, like, the, one of the important things is to keep things really simple for the offense at the same time making it really complicated for the defense. Uh, that, that, and so that, that everything, you, the offense, for the, your offenses seem complicated, but to the offense with players, it isn't complicated. Well, and I think you gotta, uh, um, you gotta put your quarterback in a position, train him and put him in a position um, where he can, he can check plays at the line of scrimmage when necessary. And not just a bunker mentality, oh, they're gonna blitz us and please don't hurt us and, you know, where, where offensively you're in the mental fetal position. I hate that stuff, you know. Uh, you know, let, let, let's huddle up because they might, you know, let's bundle up because they might hit us. I hate that. Um, but, but, you know, there'll be times where they're giving you stuff defensively that you want to attack right now. And they're not gonna be in it again. The guy won't be misaligned again. They won't make that call again. And you wanna be able to attack it right now. And, and so you better have the versatility to see and react to it right then. Because so, so I think that, um, you know, you have to, you, 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 you wanna have good schemes that attack the space. I think that you wanna have, um, you wanna have good schemes that attack the space. But then I think you have to have the ability to adjust it right now, preferably to attack them, not to protect yourself. Sometimes that's necessary. But while protecting yourself, uh, your mindset better be, okay, yeah, they're going to blitz right here, but now where can I attack them? You know, it's not, none of this get by the play and, you know, keep in mind, it's, your call, it's called offense for a reason because you're attacking them. And then... Um, uh, and, and, and try to sort that out. And then the other thing, so I think you want to have an instant uh, uh, strike quality to it. Then the other thing is, is I think um, one thing that you can control on offense is that you can practice what you do on offense every single day. And if all of a sudden, <clears throat> you know, you're trying to run everything you see on TV and running a new offense each week, then you relinquish that advantage then you no longer have the advantage of practicing and preparing what you do. Uh, if, 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 if you make choices and, and you have core convictions in what you believe in schematically, whether it's right or whether it's wrong, uh, hopefully as close to right as possible, um, you know, you can con control the fact that your freshman corner or your freshman, uh, your freshman receiver has run more corner routes than a senior defensive back if you've been disciplined about um, repping your plays in the drills, uh, uh, in the team periods, in the skill periods over and over and over. Because that corner, that, that, that corner does not have that advantage because there's a variety of offenses he has to tend to. 
you know, you're playing this team, <clears throat> they run this offense. You're playing that team, they run that offense. Playing this team, they run another offense. He's not able to do that. He has to defend a number of offenses. And so uh, no matter how much he'd like to, he can't do that. And you should never relinquish that as, a, as an advantage. You need to make choices on how you're going to attack the whole field. Uh, you don't need 20 ways to attack the flat. <clears throat> you need uh, somewhere between one to three really good ones. And then you need to do them over and over and over again until you're really good at it. And then when you get really good at it, um, resist the temptation to get bored and keep doing it over and over and over again until you're even better at it. And then um, um, and, and you'll be able to get even better at it. I mean, Tom Brady's the ultimate example of this as far as a guy that's done the same thing over and over again without getting bored and, and continues to elevate his play and, uh, and the team around him. And then his work ethic... Uh, uh, is contagious to the others uh, by, uh, you know, I mean, now it's to the point you go p play for uh, an institution like the New England Patriots, and I've had a number of players play there. Uh, Wes Welker's one of my guys. Danny Amendola's one of my guys. Ladrin Waddle. I mean, I've, they're probably leaving one or two out, but um, you don't have any choice. I mean, you go there. That's their culture. That's what they do. That's how they go about their business, and there's no choice involved. Um, and... Uh, and I think that that's, uh, you know, you're, you're searching for every resource and how to capture it that you can. But making choices on who you are, what your identity is, and what you're going to be will allow you to elevate once you've made those choices. And those choices are hard. It sounds easy. <clears throat> as soon as somebody runs some play, because everybody's got a little bit of Wiley Coyote and the Roadrunner in them. But if you're not careful, you'll end up like Wiley Coyote most of the time because there will be this clever way to attack them. Oh, did you see that play? Wow, that was a great play. Boy, it'd be fun to run that play. And then, and well, and then the thing is, is you don't have room for it. It doesn't fit what you do. And so you, you have to make your choice. And, 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 and it, that's, it's hard to resist that. When you go, um, you know, in both, the, your, your, both Texas Tech and Washington State, you've had this probably inherent disadvantage, recruiting disadvantage, where you can't get the obviously best high school football players to come play for you. Um, what do you look for in players uh, to fit into what you're doing? Like quarterbacks, what, do you, what, what, can you, what can you get? What can, what can they do? The ones you can get, what do you need them to be able to do? Uh, I've always thought quarterbacks are, are really quite uh, simple. Some, you know, some things you can train. If, the, if, if there's things you can train, you need to relentlessly train them. Never give up training. Like a couple of the things you can train. One, you can teach a guy to catch. Oh, over and over again, you can train a guy to catch. You catch a football. They, they say, this guy doesn't have good hands. Yeah, but he'll have good hands when we're done with him. Tell me, and, 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 how do you do that? How do you teach a guy to catch? You just keep firing objects at him and make <laughs> You know, it's... it's if, uh, you know, it's not unlike if you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. <laughs> no, 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 I mean, I mean, you tell them where you want their hands and their eyes and stuff like that. I happened to meet Fred Bolitnikoff one time at one of these award deals, and he used to run all over the field with his hands together, you know. And, 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 I mean, you teach them where you want their hands, you teach them where they, they want their eyes, and... Um, um, uh, when I came to visit you, I, there, you had all this stuff to essentially turn in, to, to, to uh, 
improve the kids that you got who were not naturally the best receivers. And one of them you had uh, this tennis ball machine. Yeah, I had the tennis ball machine firing tennis balls. Because to catch a tennis ball, because it's rubbery, so you have to give with it and you have to squeeze down. We would also put their, get a pole, put their chest against the pole. Guys, you want them to catch it in their hands. They reach around the pole, so the pole's in the middle. So you have to catch it in your hands. You know, you have to catch it in your hands. So just force that behavior. Quarterbacks, I think it's important. Um, well, the most important thing is, uh, is, is he accurate? If he's not accurate, I mean, there's, I mean, uh, quarterback, is he accurate? Um, and it's not. And, and, I, and, and I get a kick out of this. I mean, there will be guys from high school not accurate. All he's got to do is work on his accuracy, but he'll be athletic and stuff. And then all of a sudden goes to college, still not accurate. And then uh, goes to the NFL, still not accurate. <clears throat> and that guy laughs. He doesn't play very much, but laughs to the bank all the way. And and, and but is he accurate? Because I think that's hard to train his accurate accuracy. And I don't know. And somebody ought to in here ought to do a study on it. Uh, uh, all you students in here, you're assigned the term paper. We need to figure out why uh, you can't uh, develop people into being accurate after 17, 18 years old. You can improve it a little bit, but it, boy, I have not successfully taken a guy from flat out inaccurate <clears throat> to accurate ever. And some, somewhere in the backyard, somewhere in the backyard around fourth to sixth grade, Guys are either accurate or they're not. Now, they may or may not belong at quarterback, but they're the guy that can take the snowball and throw and hit the stop sign, you see, or, 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 or just hit what they're aiming at, generally speaking. And, um, and so accurate, do they make good decisions? So now you can coach that. Um, uh, are they accurate? Do they make good decisions? Start with that. Okay, and, and you can coach the good decisions. And then I always try to look at... Um, <clears throat> on film, how, how they play when their team's ahead, how they play when their team's behind, because you want a guy that's the same guy. And, and I hate finger pointers. If he's a selfish finger pointer guy, I won't recruit him. And then, because uh, I hate selfish people. Um, and, then, uh, uh, and then after that, well, then you can go down the list. Does he have good feet? And I think good feet's more important than fast. So good, uh, <clears throat> um, like, for example, uh, you know, quick feet in the pocket, that, that type of thing, um, uh, uh, compared to fast. Fast is nice. So, so are, are they accurate? Do they make good decisions? Do they have quick feet? Uh, are they fast? Do they have a strong arm? Well, you could go right through the NFL Hall of Fame. Most of them only have three of those qualities, you know. And, 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 but then the most important thing, the single most important thing a quarterback does is elevate the play of the people around him. Uh, he has to be a person that, uh, intangible or intangible, can elevate the play of the people around him. That's why, for example, and you'll notice this, and there's some exceptions, but um, teams that get, like, like running backs, like great running backs in the league, uh, they're usually from big schools. They're usually from big schools. Because is, is, is he fast, is he strong, can he get yards? Well, that's apparent, and, and they're usually from big schools because the big schools get first pick and they get those guys. Okay, quarterbacks, they run the whole gamut. They're all over the place. I mean, they're, some are from big schools, some are from little schools. 
like remember Kenny Anderson. I don't even know if that school plays football anymore. Uh, what was it, Augustan, Illinois or something. Then you got like uh, uh, Northern Iowa. Uh, uh, oh, you know, uh, Arizona Cardinals, uh, Kurt Warner. Kurt Warner could play now if, if they'd let him, you know. Or if he if he asked, he got tired of it, I guess. But um, but you know, after he retired, could have been the starter for like probably another three years, in my humble opinion. Anyway, um, they come from all different schools, big schools, little schools in between, because the ability to elevate the play of people around you <clears throat> can be developed pretty much in any setting, and it's in it's a trained position, and, and understand the quarterback's a trained position. And, and, and then train him, and, and and it's not just you just train him, because because uh, uh, not only is he trained, he's got to be blended with the players around him, because you're going to ask him to elevate those guys. So when you go looking at these high school quarterbacks who might run your system, because you've taken a whole bunch of people who no one imagined were going to be great college quarterbacks and turn them into great college quarterbacks, do you find that like they're they're kids who you say? who you're really interested in, who nobody else is interested in, and kids who everybody else is interested in, you don't have much interest in? Like, is your view of that market just very different from a lot of the recruiters? Sometimes, sometimes I won't take the, I won't take the four-star guy that all he's got to do is work on his accuracy. <laughs> and and, and I, I, won't, I won't take the four-star guy. Yeah, uh, well, it's in some people, you know, depending on their priorities or maybe smart or not as smart, depending on what the priorities are. But if the guy mentally is, is literally a 2.0 type of guy, I won't take that guy. I mean, because I'm asking him to absorb some information, uh, one, and two, uh, work ethic, two, you know, because sometimes guys with low grades that are smart enough have bad work ethic. You got to have a good work ethic and you got to be intelligent enough. Now, there are. There have been exceptions. Some guy, he's just, you know, his priorities are elsewhere, but he is a smart guy and does have a good work ethic. But I, uh, I have to believe he's an intelligent person, and I have to believe that he has a high work ethic. And then the other thing is, is <clears throat> like our most recent one, Gardner Minshew, you know, like you say, do you love football? I, I don't know if I've ever met anybody that loved football more than, than Gardner Minshew did. You know, he's a part-time player at East Carolina, and then of course this year played for us and uh, led the nation in passing. Was the Pac-12 MVP, and um, you know now the NFL is trying to figure out what to do with him. And then, um, do you think these guys could play in the NFL? And the problem is the NFL. Yeah, but I think I also think, and in, 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 um, I also think this though. <clears throat> too often, uh, coaches aren't selecting players in the NFL. There's only a few teams where the coaches flat out select the players. Too often coaches don't select the players. And, um, you know, and so you have a sense as a coach of what you're hoping to achieve, what you're hoping to accomplish and things of that nature. And so I think, you know, the model's got to be, you know, if you don't trust your coach to select players, you need a new coach. And, um, uh, but otherwise I think you should trust him to select players. Because they're being selected for the context the coaches created. That and the fact that players and coaches are together. I've never bought this notion that, oh, man, I coached at such a great game, but they just didn't do what I told them. I'm great and they suck, or vice versa. I've never had a game where I thought they, 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 you know, they played so extremely well 
and I was just pitiful. I think, I, think, I think coaches and players are the same. Again, that's why on the wall. You're either, uh, uh, you're either coaching it or you're allowing it to happen. You know, uh, 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 you're unified in that in a unique fashion that I think, I, I think players, uh, you, you know, and so I think personnel departments and, and uh, <clears throat> things of that nature sometimes value different things than coaches may value. And so that's why I think it's all over the map. And I'll be honest with you, I think that there's a point to, to where, because the media is so explosive nowadays as far as people hearing stuff, I think there's a point to where that does have an impact. You know, the flavor of the month, all of a sudden, you know, they, they hear the, the name over and over and over and over enough, then sometimes they'll take him. They'll fall in love so with him. And I have one him. other, uh, like football technical thing. I, that I, that and I, then I'm, you talked about winning the press conference. Some of these guys are press conference winners, but not game, not game winners, perhaps. Yeah. What do you, th you know, your sideline, your sideline interviews are like, like high drama for me. I love, I wait for them. What are you thinking about when, the, when they're interviewing? How often is they asking you the things that you're thinking about? Uh, never. Okay, so, so, so in my case, oh, um, most head coaches don't call the plays, but I still call the plays. I've always called the plays. Um, you know, you work hard, you develop your skills to become a coach. And uh, the reason I did that was to coach. I wanted to coach, uh, you know, wanted to, to coach rather than just, um, you know, wear a sweater and shake hands, you know, and talk about coaching. Um, I, wanted to, I wanted to coach, so I've coached the quarterbacks or had a position from the beginning, and I, and, and, um, and I called the play. So if you thought it was a horrible play, I probably called it. And then, um, uh, unless and, and the, the, the and, if, and if I call a really horrible play, hopefully the quarterback will have the presence of mind to change it. But, um, so I've always uh, 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 called the plays, and so I'm thinking, uh, one, you know, how do we uh, adjust for halftime offensively? Then I'm thinking, two, what needs to be said to the team at halftime? <clears throat> and then um, the sideline reporters, and I've gotten where I'm fairly artful at it. Um, the sideline reporters, I'll see them out of the corner of my eye. And the ones that have cumbersome you know, like if it's a guy and they got big old clunky shoes, or if it's a female and she's got high heels that'll stick in the in the field. So out of the corner of my eye, I'll see him coming. Okay, then I'll veer over here where there's a pile of people. Then I'll see him start to close in, so I'll pick up the pace. <laughs> okay, and so, and I have a, a an unofficial. If I get to the threshold of the locker room, they're out too bad, so sad, you don't get it. We're no, we're no conversation. Okay, however, if they catch me, I'm a good sport. <laughs> and and um, I'll say a few words, but keep in mind my mind's elsewhere. And, and, and then they'll say, uh, what do you got to do this half? Uh, score more points than they do. Uh, <laughs> you know, how, how do you think... Uh, your, your defense played if the other team just scored. Uh, horrible. Um, what do you think your offense needs to do? Score. Yeah, I mean, you know. So it, it's, it's uh, uh, but you know, the, the one thing is, is I, I, I don't uh, take the time to make anything up just because then there's too much to keep track of, you know. I mean, um, 
I got a couple uh, of questions I want to ask before we end, because there were a couple of things I was, it happened after my time with you. You had a kicker you basically pulled out of the stands. Uh, how did that happen? Oh, that was outstanding. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was outstanding. Explain how that happened. We always called him Ed Linwood, because I thought Ed was a good name. And, um, <laughs> and it's a quick <laughs> one-syllable name. And uh, no, okay, here's what happened. So, so uh, we've gotten, uh, we've gotten uh, a, a kicker, and he, he was pretty good on kickoff. As a matter of fact, um, he kicked that ball off and damn near bust the windows on the offices in the end zone of the stadium. But um, so we got this kicker, and he's kind of the second-ranked kicker in the state of Texas. And of course, Texas is bigger than most countries, so you know you're thinking your odds are pretty good. But sometimes just the transition, and I think it's mental um, of transitioning to college, because you know one thing that there's no transition to. And you'll see it with guys catching the ball. You throw the ball, ball flies through the air. It doesn't matter if an all-pro threw it or an eighth grader threw it. I mean, ball flies through air, catch it, you know. And you'll see guys with great hands drop balls. Well, that's not physical. Something mental's going on. And then uh, uh, all of a sudden a guy can kick in high school, can't kick in college. Well, that ball's just sitting there, you know. That ball hadn't done anything. And then, and, and so then... Um, Anyway, he's good at kicking it through the end zone. And we went from a guy, and this record probably still stands. It was something like, he made something like some crazy number, 269 straight extra points. Uh, In high school? The guy before, no, no, no. The oh, guy the before. The guy before. At, at, at Tech had right. made straight. And what's amazing about that, one, you have to be good enough to start as a freshman. Two, you gotta be lucky enough to be on a team that scores a lot of points. Three, you're going to have to break in a couple long snappers. It's not all going to be the same long snapper. A couple holders, and all those guys have to be precise enough to put that ball down, and you put it through. So it's very impressive. It's kind of a, it's kind of a Lou Gehring thing, okay? And so then, um, so very impressive. And then, um, and then the next guy, he's making, he's making about half of his extra points, like half. And I'm thinking about this, you know, if I practice for a couple of weeks, I'll bet you I can make all of them, you know. <laughs> and, 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 and so then it's uh, our, our early-ish game. I think we're playing Massachusetts. And uh, ironically, uh, Don Brown was the head coach. Anyway, so they have the third quarter deal where a guy comes out uh, at the end of the third quarter and you can kick for rent. If you, if you make uh, a kid from just the stands. Yeah, pull him out of the stands. Okay, just a kid out of the stands. He doesn't have any remedial shoes on or anything like that. And they're special kicking shoes. And um, uh, he lines it up, one steps it, just drains the thing. I mean, and, and so you get... Um, you get uh, free rent from Linwood Homes for a couple months, okay? And, and, and so, and, and, and I couldn't remember his name, so I figured we'd just call him Ed. And then, uh, and then from there it was Ed Linwood because of Linwood Homes, you know? And, 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 and so anyway, so, so he did an outstanding job. He came, he came um, you brought him onto the team you called him up and said you want well, to do I, I, From the sideline, I go, I get the equipment guy, I go, go find him, 
get all his paperwork, get his name, everything, see if he's got any eligibility, because he was a student. He does, gets it. Uh, after a week or two, we sort it out. Yes, he is eligible. He's eligible now. We got the paperwork. He hadn't kicked uh, for two years since high school. He's just been a student. And then, so we call him in. He said, look, uh, we're having trouble making extra points. Um, um, and we, uh, and, and you know, he was in practice and looked good, made extra points. And, and his personality was a little like Jeff Spicoli um, on fast times at Ridgemont High, which is kind of what I was looking for out of a kicker. <laughs> and, 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 and so he comes in and I go, uh, we're getting ready to play number 10 Kansas at Kansas. And, and um, we're getting ready to play number 10 Kansas at Kansas. And so then, uh, 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 so I go, uh, look, uh, we want you to, to, you know, kick extra points this game. I go, how do you feel about that? He goes, good. He goes, shouldn't be too hard. He says, uh, <laughs> he says, you know, it's only three yards. He goes, well, I guess there's the 10 for the end zone, but it's only about three yards. So he, say, he says, he says, you know, he goes, <clears throat> you know, I'll probably make all of them. He says, you know, I'm human. I'm not, I'm not perfect. I might miss one, but I'm not going to miss very many. I'll probably make all of them. And, and, and then I, I go, well, there'll be a bunch of people there yelling and stuff. Does that bother you? He goes, he goes, no, nah, I don't think it will because, you know, I'll, I'll just take my steps and, you know, and, and, and um, okay, so Kansas marches down, first drive, scores a touchdown right off the bat. So we're marching downfield, and it becomes apparent that we're either going to have a field goal or a touchdown. Fortunately, it's a touchdown. Well, so our coaches are going over there at old Linwood going, hey, uh, shouldn't you be warming up or something? You know, we're about to score here, and you might have to kick. And, and, and that net's right over there. You could be warming up, getting ready to kick. He goes, I got this. Don't worry about it. <laughs> well, that, the next coach would come up and he'd say, I'm fine. And then the, th the third coach comes up. He's getting tired of this. He goes, it's only three yards, you know. <laughs> so, 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 so anyway, so he, 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 he just drains the thing. <laughs> Uh, 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 and then, and then, and hit nine of them that day because we had a big day on offense. We beat them. It was a wild game. We beat them forty-nine to, or we beat them sixty-three to forty-nine. And uh, and then, uh, and old Linwood hit nine of those suckers. And, and uh, uh, so then they left him alone after that. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, Mike Leach. We're done here. If you want to hear these panels in person next year on March 6th and 7th, 2020 in Boston, please register for the 14th annual MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference at sloansportsconference.com. This recording is the property of 42 Analytics and may not be published, broadcast, rewritten, or redistributed without the express written consent of 42 Analytics. Any opinions expressed by panelists are their own and do not represent the beliefs of the conference, 42 Analytics, or the MIT Sloan School of Management. 42 Analytics Educational, Inc. reserves all rights in the content.